Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out. If you're looking for the best training for commercial agents in the world, <laughs> go to CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Well, we have a special show for you today. You know, one of the things that I think the commercial real estate industry is curious about is what's next? What's what's going to happen in 2021 and 2022? What's ahead of us in the commercial real estate world with all these shutdowns, uh, with all the changes that seem to be happening almost every week in the world? Uh, what's next? What's the impact on commercial real estate? Well, I have one of my favorite guests of all time that's ever been on the commercial real estate show, Ryan Severino, and he's chief economist with JLL. Ryan, good to see you. Thanks for being on the show. Michael, great to see you. And it's always my pleasure to be here with you. Well, thank you. And the, the first thing I like to ask you about as an economist that you know has that kind of real estate slant and you've been doing it for so long is uh, about jobs. I mean, you know, the, the job market is seems to impact, you know, retail spending and affects uh, the trend use for, for office and, you know, so much of the economy. Um, where are we on jobs now? What do you expect moving forward? So there's some good news and bad news about jobs. The good news is we've gained back a lot of the jobs that were lost. The bad news is we're still net short about 10.1 million, at least of, uh, say, mid-November or so. And my thought on that is we, we have been able to turn back on a lot of jobs relatively quickly because it was it was somewhat of an artificial recession. We we not that it wasn't necessary, but we sort of brought this on ourselves by having to shut down parts of the economy and then people being fearful about doing certain things. The good news was is we started to open up the economy again and people started to feel safer at least at the margin about doing certain activities again. We could relatively easily bring those jobs back online. I think there are a lot of those jobs that are out there that as the economy continues to convalesce, as we start to get vaccinations and we really move through the pandemic, we can start to bring those jobs back online. To be fair, it hasn't had a, a uniform impact on commercial real estate because a lot of the jobs that have been lost, not surprisingly, are in a lot of the businesses that you would expect, the ones that have suffered the most because of this pandemic. Bars and restaurants and hotels and conference centers and resorts, airlines, things that people are generally choosing not to do or, or they're prohibited from doing at least to an extent. If there's any good news thinking about it from the commercial real estate point of view is that a lot of the jobs, well, like a lot of the jobs that, that, that you know, we do and, and people that we engage with, the higher value add service sector jobs, we're able to sit in front of a computer and, and generally get our work done, whether it's in an office or, or in our homes. And so we haven't seen as dramatic of a fallout in that part of the labor market as we have a little bit uh, you know, down, down the, the wage distribution spectrum. And so I think what that means is eventually when we get past this, we won't have the residual drag that we have seen in other recessions where you have seen, I think, at least relative to this one, a greater number of job losses across the wage and skill set spectrum. So I, I think in keeping with the, the theme of this, it's different this time. And I, and, and I think if there's a silver lining there among a lot of the job losses we're seeing, I think that's it. And that, that the higher wage, higher value add part of the labor market has actually held up pretty well. As you mentioned, Ryan, you know, a lot of shutdowns with a lot of industries, you know, I just 
you, you just mentioned uh, a, a lot several industries. Another one I think about is the music industry and the the number of people kind of shut down there and um, and a lot of the sports arenas and things. So you know when you look at the economy moving forward. Um, you know, how long does it take these jobs to, to come back? And, you know, uh, if you presume, let's say you presume and tell me if this is an improper presumption that the vaccines are coming out and then maybe by 2020 or, or mid-2021 uh, or the end of 2021, this kind of COVID scares is is over. Well, still we got this shock from all these shutdowns around the world, right? And around the U.S., how long does it take to get things back to to normal? It probably takes until the time frame that you're thinking about, latter stages of 2021 into 2022. Let, let's assume for argument's sake that that the vaccines do work, and I haven't seen any evidence up to this point that leads me to believe anything to the contrary, that it will take through the middle of next year, let's say, at least in the US, to have widespread vaccinations. My thought is that the transition will be gradual as people start to get vaccinated, especially if they come up with a system where you can verify to others that you have been vaccinated. You'll start to see people feel more comfortable re-engaging in the economy, not just because they've been vaccinated, but because as more people get vaccinated, transmissions rates will start to go down, the prevalence in communities will not be as much. And my thought on this is, I don't want to speak too much anecdotally, but there's a lot of pent-up demand right now. This is not, again, it's different this time. There's, there's, there's this unusual constraint on activity in a way that you wouldn't see norm during a uh, normal, whatever normal is now, but during a normal recession. People still want to go to bars and restaurants. They still want to go on vacations. They still want to go to, to movies and to concerts and to museums. And I think they legitimately have a health concern right now. But I think in the absence of that, I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that a lot of a lot of the leisure activities that we normally like engaging in, that, that all of a sudden they've gone away. I think if anything, it's made people appreciate how great those things are. I mean, I, I think everyone who knows me knows me well at this point. I, I'm, I am a big fan of tasty adult beverages. The idea of just sitting in a, in, a, in a bar and having a drink, which seems so mundane a year or so ago, seems so impossibly out of reach right now. I, I, I can't wait to just be able to do that, to just grab my brother or my cousins or my friends or even when I'm traveling for work, coworkers, and just sit in a bar and have a good beer and have a conversation. And I think a lot of people feel similarly about that. So I think the, 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 the longer into this transition we go, the more it will start to feel normal and people will start doing those things. But to probably feel back to what things were like, if, you know, partying like it's 2019, it probably late 21 into early 22 before it earnestly feels like we're all the way back again. Well, you know, if you think about using the word recovery versus the word rebound, then I guess uh, that's really what you're looking at, then it's kind of more of a rebound that it's different with all this demand that the economy could come back quicker than, than in past recessions. That's a really good point. I think, 
again, I don't. I hesitate to use the word artificial because I don't want to make it sound like um, that I disagree with it. But it is a little bit artificial in the sense that there is a lot of pent up demand that would be occurring right now that would have been occurring throughout the last eight months if it was a more typical recession and there were not health concerns, which is why I think if we get on the other side of this, there's a really good potential for a significant acceleration in economic activity, because I do think there's a lot of pent up demand. If there's you know, one thing that I continue to impress, impress upon people, and it, it dovetails with this idea, and I say this without any, any latent political agenda whatsoever, I think people who know me know I'm a pretty politically agnostic person, we actually have a lot of agency in this recovery relative to typical recoveries. If you think back to the, I was going to call it the Great Recession. I'm not sure it feels so great relative to this one anymore, but the, the, the Great Recession and the financial crisis, there wasn't much we could do. Once we inflated a massive real estate bubble, residential real estate bubble that burst, individuals, we only had so much control over that. Or once we thought, Pets.com was worth $56,000 per share, whatever people were paying back then, and that bubble burst, there's only so much control you have over that. But we as individuals and collectively as a society have a lot of agency over, over the trajectory of this. Because if we do the things that we are advised to do, if we wear masks and we wash our hands and we social distance and don't gather in groups, if, if we're careful about those things, then clearly we can have a better health outcome and have a better economic outcome. And just for evidence of that, there have been some very successful countries. If you look at what China's done or what Japan has done or what Australia's done or New Zealand has done or what Germany has done, I just throw those out there as examples of, of you know different countries, different governance structures. They've all they're still dealing with this to an extent, but they're bringing their economies back online to a larger extent than say we are or continental Europe is or the United Kingdom is because they have better control over the pandemic right now. So people are less afraid to go sit in a bar or restaurant or get on an airplane or go to a movie theater. So I, I, I think that there is a lot of control that we can have over this even between now and whenever widespread vaccination occurs. A lot of people like to use letters when they're discussion, discussing the recovery. What letter would you use and where are we in that letter? Um, you know, I, I think the, the, uh, the shape that I've been using is almost, uh, for those of you who are mathematically inclined, it's almost like a radical sign, like the square root. So there's the sharp leg down and then there's a bit of a rebound back up and then the slope of the line gets a little flatter after that. So it's almost like, a, like a broken V kind of thing. It's down and up, but then the V is not completely symmetrical, so we don't get exactly back to where we were right away. And I think you see that in the data. The third quarter bounce back from, from the, obviously the, the poor result that we had in the second quarter was, was robust, but it didn't get us exactly back to where we were late 2019 into early 2020. I do think that the gains from here on out will be less than that. It's hard to, to keep uh, sustaining a 33% a annualized growth rate. But I, I, I generally expect the economy to continue to grow, even if we you know, clearly can't sustain such a ridiculously robust pace of growth. And I think it's measured for a little while. And then I think once we get on the other side of vaccination, that's when I think there's a good chance that we could start to see acceleration in economic growth and you know really work our way back to where we were before this started. Yeah. One of the things that certainly impacts commercial real estate world and and the values and and the transaction volume and uh, 
is financing, you know, the debt market. Um, and, you know, obviously there's some, some trouble there. Uh, the regulators have kind of given us a little bit of a break. Um, what do you expect moving forward for the uh, financing uh, and the debt markets and commercial real estate and the and potential impact there? I think we are going through this period right now where there clearly there, there are some issues here and there. But my, my general thought is, as we start to get through this transition period that we've been discussing, I don't think there's a lack of interest. I think it's really just hesitancy that, uh, because of how unusual this is. By the lenders. Yeah, I, yeah. I think everyone's taking a very cautious approach to this. I don't think it's a lack of interest in commercial real estate on the part of investors. I don't think it's a lack of commercial real estate interest on the part of lenders. I think people have just been somewhat hands off because they weren't really sure what to expect with this. We'll get into this, and I'm going to channel my inner Donald Rumsfeld for a minute, but there are a lot of known unknowns out there right now. And I think because there's a lack of transparency right now on some of those things, there is a little bit of a general sense of hesitancy on, on the part of both investors who could be going out and making acquisitions or, or, or potentially refinancing and lenders who are maybe not exactly sure how deep they want to jump in right now. Again, as we get through this transition and some of that becomes more transparent, I, I have no doubt that eventually the market will start to heal itself. You'll start to see activity ramp up again because even just using 10, 11, 12 years ago as a template, and I think that's an important template because that was very much a balance sheet financially oriented downturn. It took a little bit longer for everyone to get their legs underneath them and, and feel feel confident about re-engaging in, in things like borrowing and lending and investing, I, I, I don't see those same headwinds this time. This was not a balance sheet recession. At least it hasn't been thus far. I think the Fed, to their credit, has done a very good job of preventing a pandemic-oriented downturn from morphing into a financially-oriented downturn. As long as they can keep control over that over the next six to seven months, I think, I think on the other side of this, people will have more clarity on some of these issues that, that I'm sure we will get into. And I, and that to me will be an incentive for people to return back to the market. So I'm not, I'm not losing any faith because of, of the short-term disruption. I'm still, uh, I'm, I'm still a believer in the medium to long run. And I, and I can tell you talking to clients, they're still believers. And I, and I get if there's some hesitancy out there because this is such an unusual environment, but I, I haven't come across anyone who's lost the faith uh, yet. I think there are still some ardent believers out there, and I think they will be active participants once um, once we're, we're a little further into the transition phase of getting back to normal. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So we need the, the lenders positive and the, and, the, and the users. And I wanna ask you about some of the trends that, um, that you've seen happening um, kind of pre-COVID and, and now during COVID and how those trends are gonna impact uh, some of the uh, various sectors moving forward. So we'll do that right after this quick break. There's the tease for the next segment, right? So stay with us. We'll be right back with Ryan Severino. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Would you like a more inviting and safe environment for your property? Check out the ION technology for your heat and air system from Core Green Technologies. It's effective, safe, and won't break the budget. Visit core.green to learn more. 
Site selection, marketing, and property due diligence has just changed. Check out Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. That's Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. Use promo code CRE Show. You will love this product. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Core.Green. Now, that is actually a website and it's a company, but they have a device you can put in your HVAC system uh, that kills COVID. And they have some scientific uh, proof that it does it. So go to core.green.com, see what you think. Well, today we're talking with Ryan Severino, and uh, Ryan is chief economist with JLL. And if you're a fan of the show, uh, you've heard uh, and seen Ryan uh, for many years. Uh, We just recently celebrated uh, 10 years. So, Ryan, thanks for uh, being back on the show. Happy to do it. And congratulations, by the way. That's quite a milestone. Good for you. Thank you. Um, one of the things that um, is apparent to everyone uh, are the use trends that COVID has created. And I like to start with one being the, the office market, right? We all know that most office buildings, uh, even with tenants paying rent, uh, businesses open, uh, the, the companies themselves, uh, in most cases, aren't allowing uh, their employees to come in, especially in, in high rises and things. So, you know, this work from home and um, I guess euphoria is what it was, it seemed to a lot of people. Um, what do you think happens moving forward with office use trends and, and how might it impact the office world? So I'm, I'll qualify this a little bit by saying we're, we're still relatively early in this process. But my thought on this is you will probably get a diversity of, of decisions on the part of organizations. There might be some who just decide they don't need office space or not nearly to the extent that they once did. There, there will be some organizations that are bringing everyone back in. And I think some of those have already have already expressed that pretty clearly. And then I think you'll get some organizations that are somewhere in between. Maybe they're a little more reasonable about, about flexible schedules. Maybe they let people work from home some of the time and, and then be in the office. My thought on this, though, in the long run, I think there are benefits to being in an office. And I know that there are some preliminary studies done, and they, they talk about things such as productivity and and ways to network. But I think if you ask most people, and we've certainly seen this in a variety of surveys, there are things that they genuinely miss about being in an office. Not just the camaraderie and the proverbial water cooler conversations, but the ability to to, walk down a hallway and ask someone a question and then be able to go back and finish what, what you were doing. I certainly benefited from that being in an office when, when I was in one, I, I 
would love to just go pick, um, you know, the brains of the brokers that I work with and, and get their thoughts on a bunch of different things. And I think there are a lot of people that the longer this goes on, the more they'll recognize the downsides of being so disconnected. And and and, and I think there, there, there are sound economic arguments for this in terms of things like, you know, economies of scale and knowledge spillovers. But I also think that there are sound sort of anthropological social arguments, not, not the play amateur anthropologist or anything, but we have evolved to be social creatures. There are reasons why we, we want to be in those kinds of environments. And if there's anything that I know, having done research on, on social science for a long time, behaviors are really difficult to change. And I know there's, some, there's a school of thought that says it takes six, seven, eight months to develop new habits, but really fundamentally changing how we are wired to operate is a very difficult thing to do. And I think once offices start to open again, especially with, you know, hopefully, you know, considerations for health and keeping people safe, I think people will realize the benefits of, of being re-engaged in a way that they haven't been through, through most of this period. So my thought is even if we get a diversity of results coming out of different organizations, that in the medium to long run, I'm still a believer in, in people being in offices, working together, sharing ideas, collaborating, especially in cities. I, I think there's always this, um, there's, there's a knee-jerk reaction when we go through crises like this to, to come up with a new thesis that sounds correct, but maybe isn't. And this is another one of those. I, I, I'm not ready to write off offices. I'm not ready to write off cities the way that some people are. I still think there are sound compelling arguments that are grounded in economics, that are grounded in how people behave, that really make that seem like they're extrapolating from a short time period and small data set to what the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years looks like. Yeah. And even if you think about it from an individual standpoint who maybe enjoys not having the commute and, and working um, in their sweatpants at home, um, you know, thinking about their, their own career and advancing in, in their career. And I remember as a, a an em young employee, um, you know, the, the boss, you know, noticing me you know, coming in early, working late, moving like lightning through the day, you know, and it helped me advance pretty quickly because people could see it. And it's like, uh, and you think about what you learn from the, like you said, you learn, you, you, you learn from the brokers and they learn from you. And I learned from my young brokers and they learn from me. You know, it seems like, you know, when you look at the uh, recruiting and the retention and the, the productivity, I, I tend to agree with you. I think, businesses are, are going to want to open, open back up when they feel that it's safe you know, to do so. And when you think about the cost for businesses, right, their, their cost of people is a lot more expensive than their cost of real estate, right? Absolutely. That's that's something that I think gets lost. And, and I know we are in the real estate industry, so we tend to think real estate first and foremost in our minds. But if you think about a lot of the businesses that work in offices, they are obviously very service-oriented businesses. And that service only exists because of your employee base who's producing that service. So in the medium to long run, I think you run a greater risk of not having the right employee base than maybe you know the smallest possible office space that you could uh, that you could have and still run a viable business. I think you're right. I think I, I think hopefully on the other side of this, employers really start to think about 
about their employee base, not just paying lip service to keeping them healthy or, or offering them you know, the kind of flexibility they need to get things done, but really, what are the things that they want? What are the things that can allow them to be more productive? And I think things like really good office space could be a competitive advantage on the other side of this. And I know everyone thinks the opposite's true, you know, the ability to work from home eating a large bowl of fruity pebbles is the way to go. But I think there's a good argument to be made that the other way might actually be, a, you know, a more compelling argument, because I think you're right, there are benefits to, to being in an office, learning from people, especially if you need to learn from mentors, if you're early stage in your career, that, that is a much more difficult thing to do, even with the great technology that we have today. And I think you will increasingly see organizations use good office space as a differentiator. That was going on before this. I don't think that this is going to really disrupt that on a, on a permanent basis in the long run. Well, you like Fruity Pebbles. I'm more of a Count Chocula. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, one of the, I don't like to have, ask any employees or agents at my shop to do anything that I wouldn't want to do. And, and, uh, I wouldn't want to be crammed in 150 square foot per person, uh, space with open floor plans, you know, and we've at our shop always done private offices and we have a, a little over 500 square feet per, per person. But I realized that the, the space is just a lot cheaper than the turnover. What do you think happens as people, as companies do start, seeing the productivity benefits of having people together, the recruiting, the onboarding benefits, the collaboration, and they want the people to feel safe and be safe. Uh, do they want, do they go for more square footage per person? Might there be some increase in demand from some of these businesses? I definitely think so. I think we can we can always have a spirited debate about you know how many people come back or, or which industries, or which organizations. But think about what's happened over time. I'm going to use an overused uh, analogy with this, but it's the the frog boiling. When we first started densification, probably 20, 25 years ago. It was, it was very marginal, it was incremental. People didn't really notice it as much. And it just sort of like the frog where the water gets hotter and hotter and hotter, <laughs> the space got gradually smaller and smaller and smaller until no. we were you know, 20-ish years down the road and then people realized that they were sitting arm's length away from their coworkers at a cafeteria style table and it just wasn't, it wasn't the best idea any longer. At that point, and, and I, I, I'm, I'll be a little bit flippant about this, but people started to push back more, more because they weren't comfortable or maybe for ego purposes. If they were senior vice dictator of accounting and they thought that their workspace was incongruous with their importance to the firm, you know, they might not have been satisfied with that. But that's different than a health consideration. And I think what this crisis has acutely shown people is that health, especially in a work environment, is not something to be taken lightly. And I think employees are clearly more aware of, of the potential pitfalls associated with being crammed into too small of a space. I think employers, to the discussion we were just having, are, are really going to care about the quality of their workforce as, as service-oriented organizations. And I think that will start to, maybe it doesn't take us back to the square footage per person that we had in the 1980s, but I think it starts to push back against this densification trend that we've seen over the last 20 to 25 years, especially because if you think about where the labor market was before this started, we were an incredibly tight 
labor market situation, the lowest un uh, unemployment rate that we'd seen in half a century, competition for talent, especially qualified talent was fierce. That is only going to intensify over time because we are really, we're getting a little bit deeper into this, but we're still in the relatively early stages of the baby boomers retiring, exiting out of the labor force that is going to just intensify the competition for talent. And I think having an attractive workspace that people like being in will be more of a competitive advantage as companies have to more fiercely compete for scarce qualified talent over the next 10, 15, 20 years, especially the, the, the medium or, or, or sort of mid-tier to upper-tier level of, of management and skill sets. Those are not easily replaceable. Those take years of experience and networks and connections and making mistakes and you know taking a few laps around the block those positions especially i think are going to be in short supply relative to the demand and i think as a consequence of that employers even just through economic pressures will probably have to pay more attention to work work environment than uh, than they might have for the last say 20 to 25 years or so with this uh, this densification craze that's been going on. Yeah, well, it makes sense. And you're giving our listeners uh, a lot of good ideas and, and you gave me one. So next time you call uh, my office to ask for me, you're going to have to ask for the uh, head dictator, the dictator there at my shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if Kim Jong-un can have all those, those uh, awesome titles, I mean, there's no reason why the rest of us can't. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, put it on my door right beside my sign that says uh, that the beatings will continue until morale improves, I guess. <laughs> um, what do you think the timing is, Ryan, uh, as you let me go back for a second, you, you, as you mentioned, there's a lot of companies and employees who think that work from home is is wonderful, uh, and that the little savings on office space is going to be beneficial to them. Um, when do you think the demand strengthens for office space? Time-wise, you know, we kind of went other premise in the previous segment that maybe COVID's over at least by the the sixth month or the 12th month of, of 2021, right? Sometime, when do you think that the, the majority of the office demand kind of strengthens? You know, at, at least as far as the modeling I've done, I really see you know, sort of hitting stabilization on the road to recovery, let's say, early stages of 22. I, I don't generally forecast down to the quarter, or certainly not to the month, but at least across all of the scenarios that I've been modeling, and I'm sure you know this as well as I do, there's always a lag between what happens in the economy and how it ends up manifesting itself in the, in the real estate markets, especially in the office market with you know, longer term leases. I think we're just starting to see the nascent stages of that. I think that has some time to play out, but I don't think that this is going to, to last forever. I think that, that 2021 will be a transition year as we still grapple with some of what's going on with the pandemic and how it, how it impacts the office market. But I think once we get through that by the, the latter stages of 21 into, into 2022, I think you will start to see differences in the market. I, I think you'll start to see you know, declines in va vacancy will stop declining. I, you'll start to see stabilization under rents, more meaningful rent growth, you know, retraction of concessions. Um, I have no doubt there's, there's I, I don't know exactly how some of these structural things 
can play out. I can certainly give you my opinion on what's going to happen with work from home, but it's it's difficult, admittedly, to know because we're dealing with such a short time frame. But if there's one thing I know, it's that there is a very strong cyclical relationship between what happens in the overall economy and what happens in the real estate markets. And this has been well proven over the last four decades in multiple business cycles. And I don't see any reason why that won't be the case this time around. So even if we're not exactly right conjecturing about what happens with work from home or densification, I know that the economy is going to grow in the medium to long run. I know the number of people working will grow in the medium to long run. That means more demand for space, all other things equal, which is obviously a very economist thing to say. But my point is that even if we don't get some of these structural changes or, or, or pseudo structural changes nailed exactly correct in our discussion today, I know that there are sound cyclical underpinnings to the demand for real estate and demand for office. And I'm still a believer in that in the medium to long run, which is why um, I think that we go through this transition period like any other downturn for a while, we will hit stabilization and then we will get on the other side of this and demand will start growing again. Vacancies will start, you know, start to trend back down again and rents will go up again. I have, uh, I have every confidence in that over the medium to long run, no doubt about it. That's good to hear. And we're talking with Ryan Severina about the economy and commercial real estate and, uh, and his outlook. And and Ryan, uh, before I let you go, I've got to ask you about the city. Uh, you're there in the New York area. Uh, I was just in Chicago a few weeks ago. Uh, crazy empty, desolate streets. Uh, just, it was amazing to me to see Chicago so uh, quiet and and. Uh, and, and the, the lack of people there. Uh, what's it like in, in New York right now? Quiet, I think it's very neighborhood specific, but quiet is a good way to think about it. If you were in some of the more residential neighborhoods, if you were down in, uh, in, in West Village or Soho or something like that, especially when the weather was nicer, it's a little bit different now that it's getting colder up here, but People were out, outdoor dining, outdoor drinking, socializing. I think in the business-oriented districts, especially if you were in Midtown, which is obviously you know, really the epicenter of uh, the office market in New York, it definitely felt quiet at, at certain points because at least based on the data that, uh, that I've seen, only about 10% uh, of office space is being physically occupied. You simply won't see people out and about in business-oriented parts of the city if only 10% of the space is being physically occupied. But I do think that New Yorkers have shown that if you can present them with an environment that they generally feel safe in, they will go out and they will do social activities. And I think there was a good response to outdoor dining, um, outdoor drinking when the weather was conducive. I think the colder months will, will prevent present a little bit of a headwind for that as we get into the winter. Uh, but but I, I I think that the um, the implosion of New York has been a little bit overblown at this point, uh, like the mass exodus out. I'm not sure that uh, you know every single New Yorker is looking to move to Montana or whatever the uh, the popular trope is these days. But I, but I do think having a vaccine will certainly uh, will certainly help people come back to offices and then we'll help all of the ancillary businesses that nor normally um, cater to office workers in you know midtown downtown manhattan places like that well it's, it's interesting when you're in new york or chicago right now and you you look at the empty streets and almost looks like they've cleared the streets for some you know crazy scene in a movie <laughs> right um and you hear of people that are you know hub and spoke and maybe they're going to work from home or work from anywhere and 
and not go back into these um you know, crowded office buildings in downtowns. You know, what do you think about uh, the CBD districts, these the big cities in the U.S. like New York? Uh, what, what's what's the future like? I'm still a believer. Uh, I, again, I still think there are benefits to working in, in cities, economies of scale, knowledge spillovers. I still think there are benefits to being in working in offices in those cities. My thought on it, though, is, as it pertains directly to office, is that the way that I've been thinking about it is almost uh, it's akin to the way that doctors think about how COVID impacts people. If you had a pre-existing condition before this, you could be in a little bit of trouble. But if you were someone who's a little healthier, a little more stout, you know, stronger constitution, you can probably get through this okay. That's how I think about the office market. If you happen to be, you know, one of the buildings that that tends to be in favor these days, it's newer, it's got better technology, so lots of natural light, interior columns, you can, no interior columns, so you can configure, reconfigure a little more easily. If it's got touchless technology and elevators, if it's got better HVAC systems and the ability to sort of neutralize viruses as they're going through the systems, you know, more, more, um, you know, more environmentally conscious kind of configurations and, and setups. Uh, those buildings were outperforming before this. I think it probably widens that rift over time. I think the struggle that we have seen over the last 10 years has largely been with older inventory that that isn't as competitive and i think that again that rift will probably widen out and i think those landlords have a probably an even more difficult decision to make about what they do with their their assets relative to before this because i do think the good new quality assets that are really competitive probably become even more competitive because of this somewhat ironically so you believe the cities become vibrant pretty quickly then post-vaccine I think so. I, I think the only ones where, where, at least for a while, you saw people being really skittish about them were, were New York and San Francisco. And, you know, the, the, again, the idea of this sort of mass exodus and some of that was just cost associated. Those are expensive places, which is a whole other discussion. But you didn't see that in, in, in other cities around the country. And that's not to say that everybody was going into their offices five days per week. But I don't think you saw the fallout either in the press or in the market data in a lot of other cities. And I, and I still think there are benefits to people living and working in cities, even if nobody, right? Even if we move to a world where people don't want to commute in five days per week, I, I fully understand that. I've done that owner's commute before. I know what that's like. But I'm, I'm not ready to write this all off writ large because I do think that there are benefits to that. And I think... Once we start to re-engage being in offices again, people will realize that there are benefits to being um, in, in clusters in cities around other people, that they're, they're not just work benefits, but as it pertains to their job, but even career benefits. Uh, there are benefits to being around other people in your, in your, not just in your company, but in your industry and in ancillary industries. And I think that we, we are not playing that game right now for, for good reason. But I think once we get on the other side of this, I think that will remind people that there, there are things that you can benefit from that are not possible on a, on a you know, digital happy hour or something like that. It's, right. um, it's not quite the same thing. Right. Very good points. Uh, and I very much agree with that. I think the, the cities, I mean, imagine the excitement. Um, all, I guess probably all of our listeners have probably been to, into New York City. And to think about 
you know, the excitement there uh, and, and the, uh, the career advantages. And it's just, it's, it's pretty awesome. I think they'll bounce back as well. Well, Ryan, what would you leave our audience with to think about uh, moving forward? Here we are kind of against Thanksgiving here, 2020. We've got the vaccines uh, coming out, about to come out, I guess, is what we're hearing. Uh, people uh, hopefully soon be able to start taking them. We've got a, we've got a new president. We don't maybe have the Senate figured out yet, but what would you leave our audience with to kind of think about moving into at least into 2021? I think the thing that has been the most challenging, certainly for me to deal with this year, has been the massive uncertainty that we're dealing with. In economics, we think of uncertainty and risk as different things. I know out in polite society, we use those terms synonymously, but from an economics point of view, uncertainty is something that can't be quantified. There's not enough information, there's not enough data, and, and unfortunately, that's a lot of what we've been grappling with, that everyone has been facing this uncertainty because we just we didn't know what we were dealing with. As we've gone along in time, we've gotten more information about this. I'm not saying uncertainty has gone away, but it's started to abate a little bit. We understand the disease better. We understand how it, how it can be transmitted, how it can be reasonably controlled. We're starting to get more transparency on vaccines over the last week or so. We've gotten really good news about two of them, certainly here in the US. We're, we're going to get to a point where we have more transparency on a time frame for rollout and, and what that means for everyone being able to get one. Uh, we, have, we have more transparency on, even if we don't have full transparency, more transparency on the election outcome. And, and, you know, and that probably means if we have divided government, maybe not significant changes to policy, maybe marginal changes. We're starting to, to have some of the fog lift on this. And I think uncertainty is always a paralyzing force. People don't like uncertainty because they don't want to make mistakes. The less uncertainty we have, the better it will be for us as individuals to make decisions, as households to make decisions, and as companies to make decisions. And if there's any good news at this juncture is that we are really on the precipice of starting to break through that fog in a more meaningful way than we have up to this point, I think that alone will eventually be enough of a catalyst to get people and organizations to start making decisions. Can I plan a vacation a year in advance? Do I start investing in property plan equipment for my firm? Do I think about hiring more people next year as the economy rebounds? The more transparency we have, the more confident people will feel in making those decisions, the better it will be for the economy and all of us, not just in, in the short run, but even in the long run. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like even if we have to have Thanksgiving uh, alone by ourselves, <laughs> at least uh, 2021, there's a little more clarity. We can make some decisions and uh, maybe I'll be together for our next Thanksgiving, right? Well, I'm hopeful, uh, let's say by this time next year, if I can uh, swing a trip down to Atlanta, that we can do this in studio by, uh, by this stage of next year. Awesome. You got it. Studio One. We'll see you then. Ryan, great information. Thanks for joining us. No, thanks, Michael. It's always my pleasure to be here. All right. And thank you for joining us around the country. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. Uh, do you agree? Do you disagree? Uh, where are we wrong? <laughs> where are we right? Let us know what you think. Uh, please connect with us on your favorite social media. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show.
If you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors. Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Vista Property Reports. Use smartphone location technology for commercial real estate due diligence. Visit vistapropertyreport.com slash CRE show. Core.green. Use ION technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit CREshow.com.